Hello and welcome to another episode of Cameras or Whatever, the podcast for the working photographer. I'm Tyler Stalvin. And I'm Cameron Whitman. And this is uh this is nice. It's nice to be back in front of the microphone. It's been a minute. Yeah, so much has happened. The world has moved forward. The whole universe of photography has changed since last time we spoke. What did we talk about last time? I, I kind of forget. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But this time we're talking about well, what I want to talk about, and I know this is uh, of limited interest to you, Cameron, is the cell phones that I've been using because, hey, everybody takes photos on their cell phones. And I happen to have tried out a bunch of the new flagship ones that are touted and loved and bought for their very high quality cameras. And mm-hmm. so right now we're actually uh, we're streaming this live as a little test on Instagram, but I'm using the Pixel 2 from Google and it was recently rated the best camera by DxOMark, um, which, by the way, there's a really great breakdown of how to read DxOMark um, scores, uh, a video by MKBHD that really talks about, like, here is what to consider, because that top-line number that you see everybody posting, everybody's like, oh, it's 94, um, or, or whatever. It gets, like, it gets one uh, number is a summary of every single attribute about the camera, and it's not a score out of 100. So um, all of the cameras, as they were released, broke the record of the previous one. So first, like the iPhone 8 was the best ever. Mm-hmm. And then the Samsung uh, Note 8 slightly beat it. And then the Google Pixel 2 slightly beat it. Wow. All in, in, how, in what kind of a time span? Two months. Wow. Not even. So That's fascinating. It was really weird. But, yeah. but the, it's important to realize that that number is not that important. It isn't the measure of absolute image quality. Mm. So you've got to read the article. Basically they do, you know, quality analysis, but uh, you have to dig deeper to get the truth out of it. So, and also I was like really sick a few days ago. So my voice is going to fade as as we do this. So I'm, I'm I'm sorry as it'll gradually disappear. And I I lost my voice earlier today. So it's entirely possible that I might join you. So this uh, this podcast may not last that it, long. <laughs> it could be a short podcast, but hey, we're back in the saddle. So, <laughs> um, so well, so I'll try to burn through it quickly. Yeah. The the first phone that I really was spending. Actually, I'm going to go a step back because I I hadn't talked about the Samsung S8 when I uh, reviewed it on YouTube, and I've actually been shooting it quite a lot for for months now. Mm-hmm. Um, the backstory is that uh, Anya was working with them. And any first-time listeners, Anya's my wife. So she was working with them on some photography projects and we were using the camera and I reviewed it at the time. And she preferred the look of that camera so much over the iPhone that we basically just always carry around the Samsung just for photography use. Mm. Like it, it was the, the primary photography camera. We're sort of tied into the iOS ecosystem in a way that like, you know, especially me, there's just apps I, I I keep needing on on Apple devices, but the photos that came out of it really were undeniably great. There's certain tricks that Samsung is doing to kind of make it seem like the photos are even a little better than they are. They uh, do a bit more software sharpening mm. and uh, boost the saturation quite a bit. So that seems to become the new the new megapixel war. When you see photos come in like as an editor and people are submitting photos to you for review, can you spot at a glance, can you tell what camera? Um, Not yet. 
the only well i can't say the only uh, we're, we're starting to see them in in a little bit of a uh, wider variety but honestly i mean most people are still using the iphone um i've seen a little bit of the pixel and so far that's looked great not much else though not yet and i also find that a lot of the most obvious differences are processed out relatively quickly mm -hmm. um so if you run photos from two phones through visco filter all of a sudden it's really hard to tell like the the strongest attributes from each one sort of vanish uh, and not that one or the other isn't uh, preferable. Mm -hmm. uh, like the, the qualities of it are still there. If one's sharper originally, it stays sharper after you've processed it. But um, you do, it's hard to, to spot where it's coming from. So um, the most important things that I look for in, in a camera phone isn't how saturated is it out of the gate. It's more how well does it capture the range of exposure in front of it. So dynamic range and... Uh, ability to meter the scene correctly. And then uh, how does it evaluate white balance? And how does it capture the colors? It's almost like shooting in, like, what is the raw image? Like, what's all the data available? And how well can you form it into the, the final photo that you want using whatever your preferred uh, filter system is, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of amazing that we're having this conversation about phones. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that what it's worth of, talking about. Yeah, what kind of dynamic range that this phone has? There's times, a bunch of times, that I've been shooting primarily with my Canon mm -hmm. and, um, you know, big camera, big lens, full frame, should, should have more or less the maximum possible quality. And I then pull out my iPhone and take the same photo. And all phones are doing this intelligent uh, HDR type processing where. It's, it's not telling you that HDR is happening. HDR right. mode isn't on, but it is finding extra dynamic range sure in is. every moment. And yeah, and like it, it looks like just when you look at the preview, even before it's taken the photo, and then you look at the back on the Canon and you're like, where is all this extra information coming from? Like on the Canon, the sky is totally gone. Mm -hmm. And I can only bring it back by dragging the highlight slider way down in Lightroom later on. But for some reason, it's uh, the iPhone or the Pixel or any of these cell phones are able to intelligently just bring it back instantly. It's constantly well, it's, combining exposures. Or I something. mean, if you hit burst mode on your iPhone, like how many photos are you getting in, in a second? Yeah, and well, and 50? I think it's it's just constantly. <laughs> I think it's constantly taking. I kind of know some of the phones are doing this. It's taking all those photos all the time. Everything yeah. you see, it is shooting and it's storing in really short term memory. And then it's, you know, shooting it and dumping it and shooting it and dumping it. And then when you press the shutter, it says, okay, save some of those to long-term memory and take little stacks of them and combine them into little. Yeah. That, that's what I was. Yeah. That's what I was getting at. Is I think that they're able to sandwich all that information, you know, which is, it's really, it's a fascinating concept because what happens when they, you know, eventually Canon or Nikon pick that up. Yeah. That's what I keep wondering. When's the first time a big camera is going to do this? Because and I do it well, right? Because like yeah. that's the thing that's amazing about is about these uh, smartphone cameras is that they're making images that have that dynamic range, but don't look like HDR. Yeah, no, it's crazy. And yeah. the the ways that it's happening, I mean, it's going to be a challenge for camera manufacturers to catch up to it because the way I mean, I know that Google's doing it using a lot of their uh, machine learning stuff that is just 
Yeah, no, obviously it's not doing cloud processing. I mean, okay, so what I know about the iPhone is they've, Apple developed their own new image processing like piece on the chip. Like there's a physical bit of chip that um, is dedicated only to the image processing and it does it now in the Apple way mm -hmm. instead of using third-party stuff. And that's how they're like it, making these steady improvements. Uh, and then same with Google. Like everybody's got their own secret sauce to it, but these are computer companies that are tech first and the camera companies don't spend the, nearly as much time in that after image optimization. And I probably don't even notice it because they're shooting raw, right? So even if they, even if they are doing, able to do some of this processing, I'm just throwing, I'm, not, I'm ignoring it anyway because I don't shoot in JPEG. And mm -hmm. you'd have to shoot JPEG to really see what they were doing. So maybe that's part of, maybe that's part of the issue, right? Like the, as long as we're shooting in raw, we're never going to see this extra intelligent processing anyway, because how could you save a stacked raw image? Yeah. I mean, you could, but. You never say never. Know, maybe I'm going too far into the details. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, but to talk about some specifics, um, just in what you can expect out of these different cameras, the, so the Samsung S8 was the first to really push like saturation and sharpness forward quite a bit. And also in a lot of examples, I saw I would get a lot of extended dynamic range over the iPhone. And now after shooting the iPhone 8 for a little while, I think I think it's fair to say that it it hasn't passed the others in dynamic range. That's not its strongest point. A lot of the others will just try to save those highlights a lot more whereas for some reason that I think is weird, the iPhone wants to expose higher. Like it, it just on the default it always brings that exposure just a little bit up. Hmm. But I've seen some reviewers perceive that as like, oh, look, the iPhone's, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit brighter when all it's doing is metering the scene to expose it brighter. It's not increased quality or it's not, it's not a better attribute of it. It's just deciding to make the um, photo a little bit brighter, but then reviewers perceive that as image quality. Right. But it's, it has nothing to do with it. It's just a brighter exposure. Yeah, it's just you like an auto estimation. Right. Yeah. And then the best that I've seen for dynamic range after quick testing is the Pixel 2. It really is, it does this smart HDR thing or HDR plus they call it that is HDR like everything else, but just really intelligent and really able to pull colors out. Like the, the quality of the extended dynamic range looks less HDR-ish than all the others. So that's really been blowing me away. What does this mean for all of us that, that use real cameras? We I don't know. What, what, what do you think it means? I mean, I don't think so at all. Like, no, I don't either. Actually, I think it's liberating. You, you tell me. What do you think it means? Well, I mean, if they keep if they keep advancing in in, in the technology that they are now, I can imagine them taking over uh, DSLRs at some point. Why not? Like, if you look at the technology that's going into the L16, the light camera, which, of course, you know, we've been waiting for for decades. Well, it feels like it, you know, but they're, you know, using all these different lenses and then using computation to put it all together in that way, right? So at some point, maybe we're not going to actually have to have big bulky cameras where you're going to need to change the lens to get the effect that you're going for. You know, maybe it'll all be within a device such as the phone. Have you seen the results from that light camera? I mean, you were at the launch party, right? But yeah, but I mean, that was that was two years ago, right? So like that Whoa. was, yeah. Wow. That has been a while. Yeah, so that whatever information they were pushing then, that doesn't mean anything to me now, I don't think. But did you look, so I know some people got, I saw one sample photo on Twitter 
um, because people are receiving review units. Have you looked at any yet or are we going to have to follow up later? We're going to have to follow up later. Cause like, honestly, um, I was, my interest was peaked at that time. And since <laughs> it has yeah. dropped. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if it takes two years after you get the hype and there's still no product, you know, meanwhile, like how many iPhones have come out in that period, you know, mm-hmm. at some point you just have to assume that it's just not working. I mean, even seeing how in ways Google has slightly leapfrogged that technology because uh, at the time we had just seen the iPhone seven do this for the first time where they would do uh, the two lenses and that would be able to create the bokeh effect, the blurred background. Mm -hmm. And now uh, the pixel is able to do it just by using dual pixels. (laughs) Um, Did you, have you read about this? No. So do you know about dual pixels in Canon's? I guess you don't shoot Canon's. You may not. So that's how video autofocus works on Canons. And a, a reason that a lot of people really like the autofocus on a lot of Canons now, there's every pixel, there's like one photo sensor, but the lens splits the light into two. So each pixel is receiving two signals from a slightly different angle. Like there's a lens over every pixel splitting it. And the way that Canon uses that is to figure out depth information for autofocus. And so it does a great job. What Google decided to do with that is both it does use that for autofocus, but now it uses that tiny parallax difference between the two micro lenses, like the lenses on each, every single pixel, and uh, uses that to create depth perception. And that's how it generates bokeh in the background is since every pixel has two perspectives, it can tell what's further away and, and what's closer. So it's using that same thing that the light is doing by having uh, a dozen physical cameras on it mm-hmm. with every lens on every single pixel. It's incredible. It's, it seems impossible. It's, it shouldn't work. By the way, light is a terrible name for a camera. Yeah, I agree. Like if I had just named, a, if I'd named a strobe light camera. <laughs> yeah, right. That's like, that's such a funny way of thinking about it. Like I never thought of it that way, Ugh. but still, I mean, I, I, I mean, I see how it's applicable, but I never liked the name. It's not catchy to me. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's forgettable. It's becoming a naming problem all around though. Like uh, the apps are named, you know, Google Photos and Apple Photos. And there's, there's worse ones that are coming to me. Even, okay, so the Pixel, the Pixel 2 phone has dual pixels technology, like as one of the branding things that they promote. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, like the one that I'm using is the Pixel 2 XL, but the iPhone was just announced and it's the iPhone 10, not the iPhone X. So is the pixel, the pixel two ten L. So yeah. yeah okay. Know. There's, there's all these phones coming out. Uh, and a lot of people end up asking me because I, I try them all and mm-hmm. I feel like this is a, a decent place to kind of answer like what, which phone's worth looking at. And since the camera is the most important thing for a lot of people, the main point of comparison, like the thing you should be considering is primarily which OS you like the most Mm -hmm. and then decide between the hardware. So like if you are all in on iOS, you're the, the difference of camera quality probably won't be enough to attract you over to either the galaxy S eight or the Google Pixel, and if you're into Android, same thing. Like, don't just don't bother looking at the iPhone because it's uh, it's just better. To, the 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 
OS has a bigger impact than the image quality of any of the cameras because they're all excellent. Yeah. And they do behave differently, but you can kind of shoot to their strengths and, and make any of them work well. It's really fascinating because like how long ago was it that it was just iPhone or Apple that was in the game mm-hmm. and now there's competition on Yeah, a hundred percent of people photographers would have an iPhone. Yeah. And and now, you know, like mo- a lot of the people that I'm talking to are like, give me anything but an iPhone. Yeah. You know, and I mean part of it is the way that the uh that the process in the images. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the the watercolor effect that that comes from the the seven and, and and also in the eight that you know if you don't shoot raw using you know a different uh software a camera software within the phone like you get this terrible you know it's like what you were describing earlier with the over sharpening right because it's processing the image to to maximize the screen on your phone so you know you get that onto a desktop and look at it a hundred percent and suddenly it's not a usable image. It's only usable for social media. And what's your personal perspective on shooting mobile stuff now? I mean, I know you're not a big mobile shooter as far as it goes. Obviously, you don't upgrade your phone as, as frequently. Looking. Yeah. Yeah. So what what do you end up taking mobile photos for? Like, when do you choose your, your phone over a bigger camera? The one thing that I've kind of always said and stuck to is that, you know, it's the thing that I always have with me, right? So it in that sense, it's a great phone or it's a great camera because when do I choose it over something else infrequently? You know, most of the time what I'm doing is I'll, I'll grab the phone just to get a quick, like, visual on how I might frame something. Right. And is it like a preview or reference? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the irony of that is that, that there are many cases, and actually I have a, a great test sample that I can share for the show notes, um, where there's this picture they took of my son on, you know, he's like out on this, this overlook, looking, <laughs> looking at this forest, right? And the picture that I took on the phone in the moment, you know, I quickly processed it with, um, with Filmborn, and you know, probably spent three minutes on it. And then I also shot it on two different 35 millimeter cameras as well as uh, a medium format, all film, right? So mm-hmm. I have four different versions to compare and the iPhone wins over mm-hmm. all of them, like wow. without question in my mind, Yeah, just in terms of like the quality <laughs> of the way that it feels. Right. And so this kind of, propagated an idea that's been bouncing around my head for the last couple of weeks. It's been very frustrating for me. And this was your tweet storm recently. Yeah. Because, you know, I just, uh, I just started shooting with my, uh, large format once again, which it, it had been about a year since I'd loaded any film in it and I have a new one. So, uh, new to me and, you know, I'm really excited about it. Cause you know, I just, I love the process, you know, I love the process of, of taking my time to create photographs. I think it's, it's like some people do yoga, you know? And the frustrating thing for me is that it's really inconvenient. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so sometimes you I just... thought that was the fun part. Well, it's both, <laughs> right? So, like, it's frustrating. That's why I'm frustrated is because, like, right. I really love the, the process, but I don't have time for it. Mm-hmm. So it's just when I want to do it, that's why I'm usually frustrated. It's because I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to fit this into the schedule. Well, here, can I ask what you're referring to when you talk about the time that you don't have? Is it the shooting process, which of course can slow you down, or is it more the post 
process of sending in the film and waiting for it. Well, I'm, I'm really standard. patient with film, right? So I, I can wait weeks. You know, in fact, I have a bunch of films sitting right next to me that is unprocessed and I'm not stressed about it at all. Years old. No, <laughs> I finished it this weekend, but yeah, I mean, um, I, I'm not, I don't stress about it. I'm not like, Oh my God, I finished the role. I have to get, you know, no. So it's not that end of it. It's more of the, what am I going to shoot? You know? Cause I mean, I, I have my business shoot or business shoots. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of separate from the stuff that I want to shoot with film, you know, take my time shooting or, you know. Well, so to tie into that idea you were talking about of that, like the format that you shoot in affects the, photos that you create you are you're slowed down in the moment that can be meditative and it can be frustrating are there times that you do feel like how often do you feel like you created a much better photo because of the film and 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 not because of the visual qualities of film Mm -hmm. but because you were shooting in that format Um, i would say fairly frequently here's here's the really interesting twist in this i'm not sure that this applies to every anybody else but um for me you know like i've actually just barely started taking out a digital slr with me when i'm out shooting film wait what do you mean barely i didn't do it for years you know in a lot of cases you know i want to step out and i'll take this format or that format of my film camera and i was leaving behind the digital camera and so more recently i've just decided well you know maybe i should start comparing them again because at some point, you start to lose sight of whether or not it, it is actually a better feel or a better look that you're getting from shooting the film, right? So, uh, you know, just sometimes you don't know, and sometimes you have to ask yourself again. So that's what I mean by I just barely started taking it out again. In a lot of cases, what's happening is that I'm shooting a scene with my digital photo or camera, and then I'll I'll take the shots with my with my film camera, and then film versions are they smoke the digital camera, right? Mm-hmm. But then here's the the really weird thing is that like you know I'll pull out my phone and take the shot, and that one's better than than either of the other ones, <laughs> <laughs> right? Which isn't supposed to make any sense. Well, so what are you seeing in it that is is better to you? Like, can you? Describe in any more detail. Is this kind of is this only applying when you look at it in a small thumbnail view, or do you feel like that when you look at it uh, at a larger size as well? Yeah, you know, you're right. And so, I mean, it's it's what looks better on the device, right? Right. So, I mean, that so important, um, which is why I, I still can't get on board with using a phone for more than just kind of randomly collecting things. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, like it's just not going to hold up to high-end scrutiny from clients. Well, that I found later, uh, years later, uh, when you look back at phone photos and you have taken phone and real camera photos on the same day, mm-hmm. if, if there's a really great one on the phone and I didn't shoot it with a big camera, I often look at it and I'm like, why didn't I just use a real camera? This looks like garbage. Um, and it seemed fine at the time because I was looking on the phone, but I'm looking at it at home on my you know, full size monitor and yeah, the sharpness isn't there or the noise is so much stronger or there's no dynamic range to pull out or, you know, no, um, uh, extended range to adjust in in post. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, yeah, there's kind of more limitations that are necessarily obvious in the moment of shooting. It, that reminds me of a specific detail about how, how shooting with cell phones can affect 
your perception of the image mm -hmm. is that I realized it, this is actually a working theory. So I, I don't know if Ani's going to listen to the show or not, but I think I realized that she um, much preferred the Samsung partly because it uses an OLED screen and the blacks on the OLED are actually black. Like when a pixel is turned off there, it is the same as the phone being off. It's completely dark. Hmm. And with the iPhone next to it, if you look at them side by side, the iPhone's relatively gray. I mean, it's it's lit. Like you can see the light emanating from a black screen on an iPhone. And so the exact same image, even if you've, you've shot it on the same camera and transferred it to both phones, you will see a lot more perceived contrast out of the Samsung or also out of the Google. Um, and that is a, that's a better thing about the screens. Like it's a, it's a good quality of the screens. It's great, but it makes you have a harder time perceiving the quality of the specific image you're looking at. Similarly, the, the iPhone has an advantage because it has a really well calibrated P3 screen. Mm -hmm. So uh, that, that is able to display the full P3 range and the, phone is shooting in that as well. So you have a much, or not much, but a noticeably wider color depth and, and range of colors, especially you can see it in orange and greens. There's just more of them available. So if you're comparing an iPhone photo and a Samsung photo, but you're looking at them both on a HP monitor that doesn't support P3, you're going to lose any of the edge that the iPhone had. So the place that you end up looking at it is really make, it makes a huge difference and it can be challenging to kind of look past that. It's sort of your whole ecosystem or the ecosystem of everybody looking at your photography ends up having a big impact on what your photos look like. And it's, I don't know, it's stuff that's out of your control. Mm -hmm. Now I just want to get that and take pictures of like complete blackness just so <laughs> yeah, I can get it's like, it's weird. You know, it's making me think of that like blacker than black paint. You know, like where you can paint your wall with this, this crazy black that you'll think there's a hole in the wall. Yeah, it's making me think of Spinal Tap. Um, <laughs> I, I saw this awesome demo once that has always stuck with me at NAB at the like video conference. You walk into this tent, this blackened tent for Sony, and there's a bunch of video monitors, like professional reference monitors that you would have on set. And they're all professional, meaning that, you know, a 20 inch monitor like is more like $2,000 and end up. And you're looking at them all with a black image projected onto them into this black room. And then you get to the new one that they're trying to promote. That's $20,000 for a 20 inch screen. And it just is off. There is, there's no light coming out of it. It's perfect. And until you, you really kind of have to do this, like do that somehow do this demo for yourself. If you ever can get a hold of, one screen that you know is OLED mm -hmm. and one screen that you know is uh, LCD and look at them in a dark room and all of a sudden you'll be like, wow, I didn't real." And then you can't really unsee it. You can really see a huge difference. That's so, fascinating. Yeah. There's disadvantages to, oh, I've been looking into screens quite a bit lately. I've been learning more about them, but there's, it, it's funny once you realize how much you were taking it um, for granted the screens that you're looking at and that it was shaping your perception of all the stuff that you're looking at. And you were only ever thinking about the the source, the camera, like that's all you were evaluating. Mm -hmm. My friend Kelly uh, from 500px, he, uh, do you know Kelly Thompson? Mm -hmm. He, uh, so he's 
he's a very smart guy. He's over at 500 PX and does, um, a lot of research on the side. I mean, I think it's just his personal obsessions about, uh, color spaces and image quality and, and all this stuff. And he's, we've been talking a lot lately about, and he's trying to explain to me and I can't even wrap my head around it. But, uh, so the, like a lot of the reviews about all these phones are comparing iPhones, um, galaxy phones, pixels, and putting them all just side by side, but they're stripping away all the color data. So you're never seeing a P3 iPhone photo. You're seeing an sRGB iPhone photo next to an sRGB uh, pixel photo. And they're all converted to be the same, which, okay, it makes sense to try to level the playing field in a way, but you're also taking away the advantage of the iPhone. You know, it had a wider color range out of the gate and you stripped it off. Hmm. So yeah, just this ability to figure, oh, and by the way, I mentioned Kelly because they wrote a really great piece on color that is on the 500px blog. And so I should link to that in show notes just to try to really understand all this stuff because it's shifting fast enough that I think we're all going to have to come to grips with it a bit. Like I have always ignored color profiles and calibration quite a bit because it's boring to me. Mm -hmm. But I, I think we're going to have to start thinking about it soon. <laughs> I've walked down the path, <laughs> but I have not strayed from it too yeah. much, you know. Do you, what, what, what do you shoot in or edit in or export in? Are you an sRGB most of the time? Uh, no, I do um, Adobe RGB. Oh, okay. But That's I, what you export in. Because I, I, I don't. I do sRGB. Well, it depends. So uh, more recently, I've been doing um, sRGB for stock, just because why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't really make much of a difference in that in that field. But for m- all my other clients, I just always... It's just a habit. I have a preset set up that's all Adobe RGB. Well, and I have the habit of sRGB as well because I've just, I've just ran into problems before trying to do either Adobe RGB or Pro... God, I don't even remember the one in Lightroom Pro Photo? Yeah. Photo Pro? And which nobody and, uses, right? Yeah, and now we've got P3 and I've... Uh, you can export into P3 out of Lightroom now as well. But then, uh, you know, then I open it up on one screen and it looks totally out of whack. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, never mind. I'm taking a step back. I don't want anybody to see this wrong. And so. hence, that's why you export everything in sRGB because it's kind of yeah. fail yeah. safe, right? And the thing is, is that what you're told is that there's color information that's being omitted. Mm-hmm. And there is. Sure. But is it, per- <laughs> is it perceivable? But is there? <laughs> And, you know, I've, t- I've taken all the color tests on the internet and, yeah, yeah. and I, I usually get a really high score. <laughs> no, I'm, w- I, I'm with you. I, yeah, I do high scores on those color tests as well. And then I look at a P3 screen and I'm like, eh, you know, looks, looks nice. <laughs> it doesn't jump out at me. I, um, I never know without checking if I'm looking at a P3 screen or not. See, and that's the challenge to the people that are creating the, the yeah. screens is to demonstrate it in a way that actually gets the point across. I think what's going to happen is we're just going to get used to extended color depths and we're going to start seeing it more and more and more and more often. And then when we look back at the previous ones, we'll be like, wait, why is this, this isn't as nice. Like what happened? Why isn't this as beautiful as I'm used to? Um, I don't think we're going to notice the step forward. We'll just notice that it used to be worse. <laughs> Once the whole world has, has kind of moved forward to the new format. Well, yeah. And that happens a lot, right? With just everything. And then every now and then there's just these huge leaps that, that are you can't help but notice it. But most of the time things just change without you even yeah, having yeah, any totally. clue. I mean, yeah, imagine going back to go watch a SD 
video that's in 480p and and try to remember how or, much worse or just listen to music over the course of the last five decades why because vinyl was so bad what do you mean no just like the 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 tools that were used to record the music they were changed they changed so often so frequently right. that like you now have aesthetics that are pinned to a certain era that right. you know, you'll never get that again totally you'll that that dead 70s drum sound that is so like delicious but it you know it's like well now you have a plugin that emulates it but it doesn't <laughs> yeah it's just exactly like putting a film preset on on a photo right there's a really awesome um drum kit from i forget who makes it and uh they did it's i think it's called the abbey road Ooh. drum kit and it is so beautiful like even if you don't make music um and so yeah they went to abbey road and they set up a bunch of vintage drums and oh native instruments so go to the native instruments and listen to these samples mm-hmm. and you're like wow this is what the drums sounded like like it's so beatles and it's so uh well i was gonna say led zeppelin but that's not right i mean it's just so like you know, early sixties, late sixties. And they, they used all the original recording equipment from Abbey road. They recorded to tape, used the original mics, all the original preamps, but that's what it takes to get that sound is every piece in the chain needs to come from that age. Wow. And you can just feel the difference. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see somebody do that with filmmaking as well. Like you see things that uh, are kind of given a faux vintage feel, but it'd be interesting to see somebody do, a full, like try to make a movie really look like something from the seventies or sixties, you know, like find a film stock that looks <laughs> like that and find the lights they were using. And would we like it? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. I, I think it'd be cool. No, it's great. Like I, I actually, I'm, I'm a super big fan of, of rewatching movies from, from past eras that have been, you know, uh, remastered or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so you can see them like how they were, you know, on the master tapes. The, the ultimate quality of what that or what was available at that time. Cause you know, most of the time what we have in our memories, you know, is like watching it on VHS on a tube screen. Oh, totally. I mean, I spend a, I, I follow a Twitter account that just compares um, all of the star Wars versions. <laughs> <laughs> so like what they did in the, in the nineties when they did all the kind of abominable uh, reissues and then there's the, <laughs> fan restoration now and but just even just looking at the the image quality between that blu-ray scan which the uh fan no not the phantom edit whatever the new edit is that um fans restored the 70s version okay um it looks so good all of a sudden you're like wow this is a different movie like it looks like it was shot in 4k it's crazy nice Um, and also crazy right yeah because it's too it's too clean I know I heard that they're working on a new scan of Star Wars as well. Like the, Disney will definitely release at some point a their version of the original edit Come on, with four scans and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, well, there's so much money to be made off of it. I mean, I think it's a great idea. Nah. What are we talking about? <laughs> well, we were talking about cell phones, and then oh, yeah, that's right. You know, like we we profiles. tangented or whatever. Is that a word? Tangented. We're in the yeah. I think so. Um, I got my first 4K TV, by the way. Hmm. How is it? It's, I noticed the difference more than I expected. Hmm. I was skeptical. I was, because it's not that big. It's 43 inches, which by today's standards is micro. It's not big. So it must be like just terrifyingly sharp. 
No, it's not really. Because I mean, when you go up to it pretty close, like it, it also depends on the content. Most content isn't mastered to be that sharp. I mm. watch my, I published a few videos that are in 4K off of the Sony A7R2. And I find them to be a, a nice balance of sharpness. Like they're quite sharp, but not crazy. And then I watch a few YouTubers that are shooting on reds in 4K. Mm. And that really pops. That's like, you can see every pore and it looks interesting. I mean, it. I haven't really made up my mind if I like it more or not. Um, yeah, I'm not so sure. Like, Have you watched, uh, what's your 4K experience so far? Your, your TV isn't, I take no. it. 1080 yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm nowhere near that. I mean, my my only experience is with my 5K monitor. Oh, well, I don't have that. I mean, so this is why I wanted it is because I don't have, I had no 4K devices before. So I was shooting in, four, I have a 4K camera and no 4K screens. Mm. I couldn't see my own 4K content. Oh, well, that's so, not good. <laughs> yeah. So that that was the main reason to get it. And uh, yeah, now that I have, I mean, yeah, 4K is pretty cool. But, uh, it, you know, it's not mind blowing. It's not going to, it's not going to change the world in the same way. I still stick by my, what I've always said that it's, 4K is more of a way of capturing things so that you can have more room to crop or to edit in post-production more so than to um, uh, have a better final viewing experience. That isn't nearly as important. Hmm. I mean, it's interesting, actually, I was looking at the list of accepted cameras for Netflix, Mm -hmm. and they don't allow airy cameras, which are, you know, that is the Hollywood How in the hell is that? Is that what? Because they don't shoot true 4k they shoot at 3.2k and upsize or upsample but so yeah isn't that weird there's no f- true 4k airy cameras even the well maybe maybe the alexa 65 is but i didn't see that on the list it should be it has to be i mean it's like two sensors f- stuck together but yeah i mean so the like the the regular alexa that you see shooting uh the avengers isn't allowed to be used as a Netflix camera. You have to go use a red, which I mean, reds so, are sort of considered. This is not- just for networks paid programming. This is, yeah, this is for Netflix created content. Got it. Created for the channel. Right. Yeah, they, I mean, they'll play other people's content. So, I mean, they're not going to, you know, like if they got the opportunity, they wouldn't not play Moonlight. Because- yeah. They don't pass on the Avengers. Uh- right. Yeah. <laughs> That's the movie I was most recently blown away by is Moonlight. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Huh? Yeah, I was just, I was just simply stunned, yeah. stunned. And then that's you know, like nice. that's normally I don't know what, what camera people, you know, what camera was used for this movie or that movie, but mm-hmm. I do with that one because I had to. What did they use? I, I they forget. used the Arri Alexa, and you know, like I was just so stunned by, you know, and I'm I'm explaining certain things while I'm watching it um, with my wife just about like the the lens style. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow, like, how did they do this? <laughs> like, what lenses are they using that are so masterfully mimicking lenses from 100 years ago? And why does that work so well to represent something from the 70s? Nothing looked I, like that in the 70s, for real. I really wonder about the color science between these digital cam- these digital film uh, cinema cameras. Mm-hmm. And our SLRs, mm. because like, I've, I, 
there's qualities about say Alexa. I mean, like when you look at that movie mm-hmm. that I just like, I don't see coming out of Canon's or Nikon's very often. Oh, hell no. Not, not in video. <laughs> I mean, in stills, right? Like the oh. stills don't look like that. Well, yeah. But they must have the same dynamic range. Like there's no, there's no chance that there's a severe difference in dynamic range between well, I wouldn't say no Mark chance. Um, but, no, I, but yeah, I'm, I mean, it's really unlikely. Right. And so yeah. like, yeah. You know, a Nikon D850. Which, Shooting raw. Yeah, which just got to, the, the, the yeah. best ever score, right, from DxO or whatever. Yeah, it can't be capturing much less information. Yeah, you, it might just be I because people in Hollywood are more experienced, <laughs> more specialized, right? They're so whoever just, graded Moonlight only grades movies. Like that, actually, that was one of those moments where, you know, you're so wonderfully humbled. Mm-hmm. You know, and you realize like you, you like, you, I don't know anything, which is good sometimes. Right. Cause sometimes it's, get, it hurts yeah. and sometimes you want to cry cause you're like, I'm, I'm inadequate. But like other moments you're like, I really need to be checked because you know, I need to I get my act together. I get that feeling a lot when I watch movies. Yeah. I, me I, too. I don't know how to light. I don't know how to compose. <laughs> well, and that's, you know, it's kind of the, uh, one of the curses of working in stock, right. Is that you don't, like there's, you know, with a site like Stocksy or even 500px, I mean, there's several that, that produce some just outrageously stunning work, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of times you're just, you're just seeing kind of general stuff and, you know, you kind of get used to that. And then you go and you watch a, a, a really special movie like that that's just so artfully done and you go, oh my God, there's so much out there that I haven't done or seen or felt or within this mm. this medium. And uh, that's called inspiration, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and we need it. You know, everybody needs that sometimes. And thank God for the few of them that are actually still going to be able to do it because it seems like it's closing in on itself. Well, speaking of inspiration, mm-hmm. what what are you into this week? So I got the sweetest gift mm-hmm. and it's uh it's a David Bowie LP box set. Whoa, that is cool. Yeah, and it's it's the uh, it's the Berlin years, so it's like from low to scary monsters. Um, so it has low lodger, uh, heroes, stage, um, and scary monsters, and then it has you know a, a separate disc called Recall, which. So, what do you do with the vinyl box set right now? I mean, are you going to keep it? in a box uh, hiding at the bottom of your stairs? Or are you going to put it on display? Or like, how do you optimize the use of something so beautiful? Well, I listen to the shit out of it. Oh, that's a good way. Yeah, it's the only thing that it's meant for, <laughs> in my opinion. You know, right. like if I ruin it, perfect. Mm-hmm. Because as long as I ruin it the right way. No, I mean, I I don't buy things to, to collect. I buy right. things to, and I didn't buy this, obviously, but I don't, I don't have things that I can't use. I just... Not saying anything about it. It's just, it's just not in your nature. Well, it was. Like, I still have a big box of baseball cards and a big box of comic books from when I was a kid, which is probably why that doesn't happen anymore. I have six guitars, dude. <laughs> you know, and like, yeah. one of them's good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it's just, uh, that's just not how, I think I've reached an age, and probably with kids, where it's just like, I don't want things that I'm not going to, to use. Yeah, you know, so I, I, I ditched the my CDs. You can reach that age, the better. Yeah, so like CDs, right? Like I spent the '90s like buying CDs. I spent 
all my money on CDs. Yeah. And, you know, anything that I made. And, like, you know, I look back and I'm just like, God, that was so stupid. What's the equivalent? I, I've thought about that too. Maybe even talked about it on the show, I remember. But um, that, you know, my whole net worth was caught up in CDs when I was 17 years old. Mm-hmm. What are kids now doing with that money? Buying apps? Um, non tangibles for sure, right? scary it's, it's, it's all going to their spotify uh premiums oh no wait kids don't pay for spotify. well i say you know i i really i just caught myself in something funny because i said I, I said that's scary right because it's non-tangibles but then you think about what it what's a cd anymore <laughs> yeah where are your cds now yeah and you know I, I try not to you know that's why i don't get caught up in collectibles anymore is because you know i have a bunch that you know had a, a quoted or perceived value and there was nothing i could do with this shit Somebody can say it's worth something, but it, anything that you can hold is only worth whatever somebody else is willing to pay for it. You know, and so when you know when it comes to to things that are meant to make my life more enjoyable, I'm going to use the the bejesus out of it. So yeah, I mean, I've been I've just been playing these records on on constant play, and it's just it's been an an amazing week, honestly. That's awesome. Yeah, so much good music. Um, mine is the exact opposite. So I, well, no, I have two, I have two. So one is, one's a new toy and mm. I'm going to, I'm going to try it out right now. I'm going to have to edit this part of the podcast, but, uh, Hey, well, we, what's an F stop. F stop, a camera setting corresponding to a particular F number. <laughs> so I got a, a Google home mini and I didn't think I was going to buy one of these voice things. Like I've heard a lot of people say, Oh, I got a, uh, Amazon. Elsa, and I'm, oh wait, I can't say her name. I got an Amazon box and <laughs> I'm totally hooked on it and I love it and I use it all the time. And I'm like, yeah, what's your you name? Know. That chick, <laughs> yeah, the girl in a can. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it, I couldn't see the value, but now that I have one sitting in my house, I really enjoy it. And I mean, the best thing I actually find for it is playing music. So <laughs> I'm going to have to do a bunch of editing here later. But uh, hey, will we play David Bowie? Sure. Check out this David Bowie radio mix on Google Play Music. So it's going to play just a mix of free stuff from Google Music, mm-hmm. but uh, you can also tr- plug it into my Spotify and then, um, you know, have it. Hey, will we stop? <laughs> And you can do the same for like podcasts or the news or whatever. And there's just so many times I've found myself doing that. I'm like sitting there and I'm just doing something. I'm sort of focused on something else. And I wouldn't want, like, I don't want to pull my attention away and pick up my phone or open a new window on my computer. Mm -hmm. And it, that feeling of just saying something out into the ether is quite satisfying. I actually really like it. And all of a sudden this, this really cheap one, because the the mini from Google is 50 bucks. Like it's extremely cheap Mm -hmm. has made me start using the assistant on the pixel now more. And like, I've even been using Siri more on my phone and it's, it's sort of drawn me in. It's this like (laughs) gateway drug to to talking stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And I even got a little uh, plug for my, um, just like a power, a smart power adapter and then I plugged all my LED studio lights into it that I use for cinema stuff. And so now I can tell it to turn on the lights and then all my lights in the studio turn on. And it's totally pointless, but <laughs> <laughs> but it seems cool. <laughs> but it's fun, yeah. I mean, just walking out the door and just telling it to turn off the lights. I don't know. I, I, I like it. I have a movie recommendation for you. 
is it her? <laughs> no, Terminator. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, there we go. <laughs> different different endings to the same story. I'm kind of amazed though because um, that Google lady sounds a lot like the Amazon lady. Yeah, yeah, it might girl. be the same girl. I'm not like sure. Same girl, yeah. Mm-hmm. Same voice actress uh, going around. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm going to squeeze in another recommendation because mm-hmm. there's something else that's more uh, relevant that I'm like really into. Uh, and I sh- yeah, I kind of should wait to see if I buy this before I recommend it, but. Um, if you go to quasarscience.com, oh. um, they are I a mean, terrible website, terrible name, but what it makes me think of is that they are kind of the alien bees of like LED lighting. So the the main product you're going to find on there that's really exciting is what looks like Did a bunch quasar of science. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Continue. Um, so if you go there, uh, you know, click on the QLED thing and then click on some of the different fluorescent tubes. Um, so they're not actually fluorescent, though. Inside is a strip of LED lights that are made for cinema or made for photography or whatever. And they, so they have a really high CRA rating so that they pr- reproduce colors really well. But they're crazy affordable. And all you need is the lamp. And the lamp comes with a little regular power plug at the end. So if we look at these dimmable ones, um, a two foot is $45 and a four foot is $75. And you can just buy this one fluorescent tube, say a four foot tube, plug it into the wall and it just turns on and has incredibly beautiful light. And then you can uh, just use gaffer's tape and stick it to a light stand or use a clamp and, and hold it on the end of a... Uh, C stand, like you can just throw them anywhere that you want, or if you want to like light a room convincingly, you can tape them all to the ceiling. You can replace regular lighting fixtures. Like there's infinite choices with these really affordable lights with really high quality. So I'm thinking about spending. I why am I talking about things I'm thinking about? I mean, <laughs> so you could one could spend like a thousand dollars and get. A respectable kit out of these that are, you know, cross-fadable to uh, between tungsten and daylight and have, you know, decent output for what like a fluorescent does. And yeah, I, I'm these really excited. These are pretty interesting. Yeah. I'm kind of peaked on this, actually. Yeah. And the things, they have like no distribution in Canada, so I can't see them in person. What about um, Maryland? I don't know. I didn't check Maryland. Mm. I mean, you know, <laughs> LA, and, LA and New York, there's plenty. Mm. I but uh, I'm going to look into it further. There's there's a f- another company called uh, Sputnik, Digital Sputnik, mm-hmm. that is also doing this stuff at a bit higher end level. And um, if you look into them a bit more, that's what they did all of uh, Rogue One with, was entirely lit by these digital Sputnik LEDs. And so, you know, the, the other all the other advantages of LED come with that, that it's like really low power, so you're never going to blow out breakers and you don't have to worry about big ballasts or um you a lot of they can run off of battery power and the exciting ones are full rgb like every single light can go through the whole range of l or of rgb lights so what they're doing on set is every lighting source is programmed to some really specific rgb color and go back and watch star wars and start looking for it and it's like oh this part's just a little bit cyan but not very much. And this part's really cyan and this is a little purple and all in the same scene. And it creates this dynamic push and pull between 
color contrast. So not just lighting contrasts, but color contrast that can be done in really subtle ways. And you can adjust all this stuff on your phone. And uh, I don't know, all the, this is coming soon uh, to the mainstream. Like digital Sputnik is the high end of it that is here now, but we're seeing things like Quasar Science bring it to the mainstream for relatively low prices where we're just going to be able to make really cool lighting effects for very low budgets. So Quasar Science is just the alien bees for video. That's my perception. Also because the website sucks and it's hard to order them. Um, <laughs> That's a terrible but, reason. To yeah, be, no, to, yeah. They're not exact. There, there's another brand also that I'm looking at called uh, Ap- Aperture, but spelled Aputure, A-P-U-T-U-R-E. Yeah, Aputure. Worst. That's not a good... Aputure. Aputure. And... <laughs> They uh, so they just released one that is uh, like a hard light, uh, a single source that's about equivalent to a 2K, so it's very bright, and it's uh, daylight, and it has a Bowens mount on it. So because it's LED, it's very cool, and you can just treat it like a strobe light, and it's you know all, not not as bright as a strobe, but as bright as a not that bright of a strobe, and you can stick soft boxes on it. You can use all of your photography lighting modifiers for uh an always on light and it's uh i think 1300 us or so wow so i, I kind of like the website <laughs> but there's there's all <laughs> these crazy lighting solutions coming out and like led is here and it is cool yeah i'll take it yeah so i don't know i'm not okay i'm not gonna order any of this yet but i might by the time we record next <laughs> i hope i do well it can, who knows when that'll be so yeah, I'll I'll have a whole different rig by then. <laughs> um, oh, and also older, I ordered sound baffles because you know in the studio it's very echoey, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. as we've all heard. Uh, so yeah, I've got these like portable um, sound buffer things that are on stands. So Wicked. we'll see if that helps. Cool, man! Congratulations. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for joining me. I'm glad we could do this again, yeah, Cameron. Me too. It's good to hear your voice. <laughs>